You're listening to Between Two Ravens, a Norse mythology podcast with Sean and David. Hey, Sean, how's it going? David, it's going great. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm excited that we're on season two now. It was nice to try doing some different episodes. We got a few weeks off where we got to, yeah, like not have to worry about uh, recording an episode. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's pretty cool to think that uh, season one started uh, six months ago and season zero started seven or no, excuse me, six months ago, but season zero started seven months ago. Yeah. Um, and I guess for the listener, since we did consistently publish episodes on like once a week, there wasn't really a break that I thought there was going to be, which is, it's pretty cool because we always were putting out content. Yeah. However, it's just funny how often we've been talking about season two. I feel like we've been talking about the upcoming season two for the last six weeks, but it's here now. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. No. And that, that I really enjoyed that getting to, you know, practice my skill a little bit, trying to do a solo episode seeing what it's like to do interviews and things like that. It's been fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I did have a quick update on top of everything else, yeah. you know, going on with my life, which it hasn't been too much. Like, well, I guess we did go to camp, like my wife and I went to Canada um, a couple months ago. Um, I have been doing Duolingo. I'm up to a 20 day streak on learning German. Oh, nice. I need to work on mine. Uh, let me see. Um, ich bin ein Mann und du bist ein Jungen. <laughs> um, I am a man and you are... A woman, or you are a boy, a... Oh, there we go. Yeah, you are. There we go. <laughs> Fantastic. I got about a uh, probably eight lessons into it or something, but yeah, I got to work yeah. on mine too. You already know more than I do. Fantastic. <laughs> now it's it's funny because like it's a cool it's it's actually a pretty cool app. Like I don't expect me to get anywhere um, fluent in German like after I'm done with this, but I do realize that I need to like see the actual wording in front of me and then like, I, I can easily figure it out. Whereas like right there, I, I miss, I missed, uh, understood you calling me a boy, but it's pretty cool. I like it. No, I, I did about six months of Duolingo for French, which really just helps. So I can at least pronounce French words. Like I can't speak French in any sense, but when I see a French word now, I can kind of make sense of it. So yeah, we need that for German, definitely, both of us. Well, we need it for Old Norse, uh, yeah, but they don't even have so. one for Icelandic as of yet, but hopefully that's going to be one of the updates. That's pretty exciting, Sean. Yep. And uh, anything else Anything else for you on your side? Uh, my, well, we're actually going on our uh, delayed honeymoon in September, so we just booked our flights in Italy, and we booked the first couple Airbnbs, so we're going to be doing uh, Rome, Florence. Um, we're going to stay in this other small town in Tuscany, and then we're going to spend a couple days in Venice, and then we have to stay in Rome like one night before our flight back to the United States. Yeah. So my thoughts are on the way from Venice to Rome, we could spend a night in San Marino just so I could say that I was in technically another country. So we're going to technically be only going to Italy, yeah. um, like as primarily Italy, but we're going to try to hit the Vatican City and also San Marino to say that I hit three countries on one trip. I think that we're going to have to really figure out a way for people to follow you on Instagram and see all the great food you're eating. That's probably going to get like more fans than our, um, our mythology Instagram has. Yeah. I'm going to take it. I'm going to take a photo of like pasta or something and, and say like, Hey, this is what Vikings ate. Right. And then everyone's going to be like, no, they did not. You idiot. I think the, the, the Vikings did make it to Italy. Right. We, you mentioned that, or we mentioned it in one of the history uh, episodes we were doing. Right. Yeah. They, they did. And I'll have to look yeah. further into it, but there was like one story where, um, the Vikings made it to a like town in Italy, but they saw like the town was huge. So they, assu- they incorrectly assumed that it was Rome. And then I think they used like some, uh, some like dis- deceivement or like some intrigue to get into the city that involves like a flaming uh, bag of shit or something. <laughs> but yeah, I'm I, sure I, they had all kinds of like dreams of just sacking Rome and the Vatican and things. And then they were nowhere near prepared enough for that. Yeah. yeah. 
Definitely. So anyway, David, what's up with you? For me, so I got a couple of cool things that I'll have to put it in the show notes that I uh, started a website where I'm writing a lot more on philosophy and psychology. So my website's called the uh, Prosoke Project, which is Greek for uh, stoic mindfulness. Basically, it's like the, the Greek stoic word for uh, for pay attention. And and then also now I'm a writer and a contributor for The Walled Garden, which was originally um, Simon Drew's podcast was The Practical Stoic. And then it's became the walled garden where he's bringing in a lot more influences. So it's more than just stoicism. It's not just all uh, talking about Greek stoicism, but really looking at questions around like ethics, you know, the philosophy of how should we act in life and a little bit even about spirituality. Like how does a a rational person make sense of spirituality? And I'm even going to be writing more on this idea of like mysticism and poetry and these things that actually connect in a little bit of the Norse mythology and and then also the Jungian psychology. I, I kind of combine all or at least I hope I do. So if you want to follow what I'm doing, we'll have my, my website, my, uh, I got a Twitter. I don't post on much, but I'm going to try to more. And, uh, and then with the walled garden. So are any thoughts you had there, Sean? I'll say one more thing about the walled garden. But, yeah. well, no, it's pretty cool. First of all, I think that uh, Between Two Ravens, a Norse mythology podcast was the first uh, follower of your new Twitter account. So congratulations. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Um, I'll have to retweet. Maybe I'll we'll get the Between Two Ravens to retweet out some of my stuff since I don't have any followers yet. Yeah. But followers. like, yeah. Um, but I guess just in, like in regards to like stoicism in general, like it's something that I was very unfamiliar with. In fact, like everything I kind of know about it is from this podcast and conversations with you. Um, but like primarily, I'm still kind of looking at it as like if you look at a stoic, the way I kind of picture that is like somebody who's very pragmatic in the way they, you know, approach life, like focus on what you can control. If you can't control it, don't worry about it. Don't like, like maybe a more sinister way, like I guess a uh, comment on it is don't get too excited, but don't get too down. Just kind of like live your life yeah. you know, the way you can. And just like trying to find ways to tie that into like spirituality, which like I, I consider myself a spiritual person, like, but what does that mean for somebody that takes this very pragmatic outlook on life that may, that may or may not like include, you know, an atheist, like yeah. an atheist view of life, if that makes sense. Right. So I think it's really cool. And I'm not going to pretend I know like everything that you like all the like every like all the content of the conversations that you have with Simon, but I find it very interesting that the uh, the the thing that's in common with all the things we're talking about is this idea of wisdom, right? Like wisdom of how to live your life, right? Because that's things we talk about Norse mythology and the Havamal is kind of the the Havamal virtues are ways to live your life, right? And it's Norse pagan, and then the Stoics are Greek pagans who you know were very intellectual and uh, philosophical and all of this, but they talk about these same ideas, virtue ethics, and it's what people look for in religion. It's what people look for in uh, poetry even, right? So that's, and then, and so towards this idea, that's kind of what the walled garden is about is finding wisdom, that it's not just looking any one place. It's not looking for what the Christians say it is. It's not what the the Norse pagans say it is, or even just the Stoics. It's looking a little bit beyond that too. And they're going to be doing meetups for the next two months. It's every Thursday. I'll put a link in the show notes for, to see uh, for your time zone when it, uh, when it's happening. But it's going to be all the different walled garden contributors go through and who's somebody that inspired them. And they talk about who's a person that inspired them to care about philosophy, to write, to do podcasts, uh, things like that. So um, I'm going to be talking about Albert Ellis, who's a cognitive behavior therapist who's influenced by stoicism. And he's a very interesting character. He's, he's a very funny guy who's actually one of the like inventors of CBT, basically. He called it rational emotive behavior therapy. And so... Uh, I think that'll be a fun one in, in August. I'm going to do mine, but every, there's a bunch of other ones before that. Yeah. No, that's awesome. And so Sean, what is the topic for today? That's enough about me. What's, what's the topic for today? 
So to kick off season two, we're going to start our uh, series of episodes on the trickster god Loki. So I know in season one, we kind of just uh, went through some of the basic, like we went through like not necessarily in a particular order, we went through some stories um, featuring the god Odin in his search for wisdom. And we also looked at a few episodes on the stories with Thor and how you can maybe look at, depending on the chronological order of the stories of which there probably is not one, his growth into being more than just this brute warrior. And David, I know you mentioned uh, something about archetypes there, and that's something that we're also going to be taking a look at with Loki. Yeah, that now season two, we're really looking at Loki as the, the trickster archetype, right? And that's what, is what Loki does is be the trickster, basically. And, you know, what does that mean? And they kind of give some reference to the previous seasons, right? That, that Odin is, you know, the king of the gods. So he's a little bit like this king archetype. There's also a lot of stories where Odin is being a hero. We'll, uh, we'll have a future episode, actually, we're going to recap a little bit back on that meat of poetry. And that that's very much a hero's journey story, that Odin's being the hero there who uh, goes out and he has to gain something. And he has to kind of, you know, sac- risk uh, sacrificing something of himself, do something dangerous to get the, the prize, the treasure. And then he's bringing it back that all humanity then gets to share in a meat of poetry. But then also a lot of stories, Thor is really the hero archetype, right? That, that Thor is, that's usually what Thor does is he has to go destroy things, save people. But, and that, that Odin's very complicated because he's also very much the magician, that he's that, that shamanic figure who cares about wisdom and knowledge, right? So that Odin's a bit all over the place, but Loki is very much, he's pretty much the, always the trickster. So we'll, we'll talk more in future episodes what I really mean by that trickster archetype, but that's just to give you some context there. Yeah, definitely. Um, so we can, uh, I, I know in previous episodes, we tried to um, not necessarily have an episode solely on one god, like Odin, or the main, the primary gods like Odin and Thor. And in this case, Loki, but you sort of touched on it, David, I think this episode, or I think with the character Loki, we're going to describe who he is through the stories themselves. So we can get started. I know in previous episodes, we have talked about, as I mentioned, the god Thor, and he has a certain weapon that he uses pretty often, primarily in the slaying of giants. One story that we discussed um, involved Thor losing his hammer and the need to, and so he needed to put on a wedding dress in an effort to get it back. And that was one of the episodes where he had to kind of destroy who he was to, to come out the victor. And it was that, that he and Loki had to both put on the wedding dresses, right. And get it back. I think Loki was his uh, bridesmaid or his, his handmaid. something. <laughs> yes. They both had to put on uh, on bridesmaids, which for Thor was probably a very difficult thing to do uh, mentally. Yeah. But Loki, um, I don't think it, Loki minded. I think it was Loki's idea and he liked seeing Thor in a wedding dress. I don't think he minded that at all. But. It was actually Hemdall's idea, but I'm, oh, I'm sure right. Loki was perfectly, perfectly fine with it. Um, but what we're going to do in this episode is talk about how, first of all, how Thor got his hammer, but we're also going to kind of introduce the character of Loki and looking at him as both the creator of and solution to all of life's problems. So very similar to alcohol in the words of Homer Simpson. Um, so we can, we can go ahead and just get started. Loki causes shit to happen and luckily the gods prevail. Um, yeah. And then I wanted to mention just a, a little bit like the story today is from Scout Scappermall and that Sean, you said your translation you've been enjoying is uh, by Jesse Bach, which is the Penguin uh, Publishing. Yeah. It's the Penguin uh, Classics. So my and translation it, is by Jesse Bach. And then I was reading a bit about the different translations. They say that's one that's like easy to find Penguin. Penguin Publishing is going to be everywhere that, um, and it's the newest one, but there's some people that really like, the, I think this goes back, you know, Chuck, I like that we had Chuck on and he really calls us out, right? That Sean will probably find the version that's like the most readable, where I find the one that has the most footnotes and the most just nonsensical background things you need to know, um, which is Anthony Fox's version from uh, 1987. But you can actually find it for free from the Viking Society for Northern Research. So if you want to read the uh, 
the prose edda by uh, Snorri Sturluson, but you don't want to pay a lot, you can, you know, there'll be a link, there's ways. It's not, it's not piracy. It's all legitimate as far as I can tell. Um, and then I really like Neil Gaiman's version of this story, this one today of Loki and getting the gifts of the gods. Neil Gaiman does a great version that's really just, you know, the, he builds the characters, the emotion of what they're doing back and forth. So I might comment a few times as we go through here how, you know, Neil Gaiman really develops them as characters you care about. Uh, Skulls Capromals, kind of just the facts of what happened. Yeah. And uh, although I have read Neil Gaiman's book, um, it was a couple years ago, and I made a conscious decision to not read through the story um, because I kind of want to, because I understood you were, and I'd love to hear your thoughts as we go through it, just to see <laughs> exactly what liberties uh, Neil Gaiman took when uh, writing his version of these stories. So anyway, moving on to Scott Scoppermall, which David mentioned was from the Proseta, which was written in the 13th century by um, Snorri Sturluson uh, with Scott Scoppermall, or I guess with both of the primary um, portions of the Proseta that we look at when we discuss stories on this uh, podcast, the first of which being Gilfagenin, this one being Scott Scoppermall. It's actually written in a way where he kind of takes a step back and he writes this like meta version of two characters having a conversation that describe the Norse stories. So with Scott Scoppermall, you have this character of Aegir, who's meeting with this court poet, Bragi. And with the actual Norse mythology, Bragi as a god is the poet god. But in this case, they're kind of like just human characters who are talking about these fictional gods. So this story of uh, Loki and the gifts of the gods starts with Aegir asking Bragi, why is gold called Sif's hair? So if you're in a conversation and you say, hey, that Sif's hair is very shiny, in this case, the context means it would be talking about gold. Yeah, I got, I got my wife a ring made out of Sif's hair, right? That's Exactly. What does and, that mean? Yeah. <laughs> and so in this case, Sif's hair would be a kenning, which we discussed in our episode on the Meta Poetry, what a kenning is. But it's just sort of a way to describe something that's not the actual description. But in this case, it allows you to learn about how Sif's hair became known as gold. So then... Braggy gets into telling the story. And this is where you right off the bat find out that Loki is kind of a, a little a little shithead. Um, so Loki cuts off all of Sif's hair as a prank. Since Thor is Sif's husband, Thor is obviously pissed. So he threatens Loki that if he didn't get the dark elves to make Sif new hair from gold, he would break every bone in his body. So Loki went to those dwarves called the Sons of Ivaldi. They made the hair. They also made a ship called Skid, Skid Bladnir, and they made the spear Gungnir. So I wanted to take a step back because dwarves do take a um, kind of feature in our stories sometimes as side characters. And in this case, Snorri makes an executive decision to say, or Snorri also uses the term dark elves and dwarves interchangeably. And so I know in our episode where we discuss the nine worlds and we discuss like light elves or just elves in general, yeah. and the dwarves. Um, right here, we, we, we talked about how the dark elves might also be the dwarves, and right here, it kind of confirms that, at least yeah. in the eyes of story. And that's that part where I've, I'm not going to you know get into the overly semantics and look at Old Norse, but I'd be very interested to pull up the Old Norse version and see what word are they actually using there, right? Because someone turned it into English as dark elf or dwarf, but you know that that's, the translation is always difficult from Old Norse. So Yeah, yeah. And, and another thing, I, I looked up the character of Ivaldi. He, I don't think he, or like we he, we see Ivaldi's sons in this. They're unnamed. I looked up the character of Ivaldi, like to see if he shows up elsewhere in um, like the Proseta, the Proseta, or the Poetic Edda. I couldn't find anything definitive 
However, in the poem Harbard's Law, which we discuss in our episode on Thor and the Ferryman, stanza 19, Thor mentions Alvaldi with A-L-L as opposed to I-L. So he says, um, or as quoted in the poem, I threw the eyes of that son of Alvaldi into the clear sky. So I think it's funny, in this case, they both mention the sons of Ivaldi, but in the poem, it mentions the son of Alvaldi. It, it might be that there's a lot of sons of Ivaldi, and that might almost just actually mean the dwarves are just thinking of the way they use kinnings, right? And things like that. Like it might be that are almost all dwarves descended from Ivaldi, maybe. Yeah. And, and there's actually something else like that we can discuss in a little bit where I do think the dwarves have a very close relation. So real quick, moving to Skidbladnir, which is the ship I mentioned, it is also mentioned in Grimnismal in stanza 43 and 44. In stanza 43, it says, in ancient days, the dwarves made Skidbladnir, the best of ships for handsome prey, the strong son of Njorth. So it's kind of a little spoiler alert, but it mentions that the dwarves made the ship for Frey. And then in stanza 44, Odin mentions that Skithblathnir is the best ship. And then the, the spear that we're talking about, Gungnir, the poem Sigurdfumal, which is also found in the Poetic Edda as part of like the stories of the Volsungs, mentions that runes were put on the spear of Gungnir. So I just wanted to I just wanted to put that in there, uh, David. Yeah, and that's one of those things where I, th- I think in this story they don't talk about why the spear is so powerful, but other places talk about that Odin, when Odin swears a pact, he carves something into his spear. If he ever breaks his word, then his all-powerful spear is no longer uh, good. It, yeah, it doesn't work. It breaks. Yeah. yeah. So that's another spoiler. The spear is going to go to Odin. So then the sons of Avaldi are absent from the rest of the story. So then Loki does something interesting here. He then approaches two other dwarves named Brock and Eitri. Loki wagers his own head with Brock that Eitri could not make three treasures equally as good as the sons of Ivaldi. Eitri worked on the forge and Brock was instructed to work the bellows. And David, I know I, can, I talked to you before this. I don't know how a forge works. No, that's a great one. It's funny. I've actually seen a little bit of people doing some uh, improvised blacksmithing before. Besides, I've seen a lot of glass blowing just somehow in my life. I've seen people, I've gone to glass blowing studios and then uh, watched some shows on it. But it's that, you know, the, the, the metal is liquid, you pour it, and then you're hammering it over, right? So you fold the metal in half, you hammer it together, and you got to keep it just the right heat. Because, you know, if you see like the way they do Japanese metal work, it really, you see all the layers that are folded, they fold it over and over. But if you let it cool anywhere in between there, it's kind of like if you had, if you're making pottery, right? And it starts to dry. And before you could smush it into a new shape, but now it's half dry, you're just going to crumble it, right? So it's, and that's the, um, Neil Gaiman describes that really perfectly, like why it's so important for him to really keep this bellows going at just the right speed, keep everything just the right heat. The two of them are working together. One's doing the bellows, one's hammering the metal and folding it over to make it strong, but not going to shatter. So the bellows is the thing that you kind of like push together that blows onto the flames. They talk about it being made out of skin. So it's made out of leather. And yeah, it's just this thing that pushes the air through. And then the other guys in the other room, basically, the way they describe it in Neil Gaiman's version, at least, it's such a big forge that he's on the other side of the wall. So he's telling him like, keep the bellows going right. And then he goes in the other room where he's, it's blowing on the coals and keeping, getting the fire to keep going and keep heating the uh, metal. Yeah. Awesome. I appreciate that context because as I read through this, I was like, okay, they're both needed to make these gifts. And so now I have like actually a picture to kind of like understand it a little bit better. It it makes you wonder how, yeah, when some blacksmiths can do the job on their own, 
what that requires, but that they're making very technically difficult things to make. Like it's not just making a sword, you know, there's these little gold mechanisms and we'll go and get into it more. Awesome. And uh, one thing I wanted to note here, I also looked up the characters of Brock and Eatry. Um, apparently Eatry may also be known as a character named Sindri who has other roles in Norse mythology. And I think there was like one, um, other poem, not necessarily related to the poetic editor, the Prosetta, that mentions the characters of Brock and Sindri. Um, so I think a lot of people just kind of make that assumption that Eatry and Sindri are the same characters. And Sindri shows up in Volaspa, stanza 36. And again, this is the Cirrus, the dead Cirrus, talking to Odin. There stands north of the dark valleys a golden hall of the kin of Sindri. So in this case, you do kind of get that the Golden Hall maybe belongs to being the kin of Sindri, the dwarves in general. Yeah, the, the dwarves work in gold a lot, right? And that's what they, uh, I guess they mine underground and they find all the gold and that's uh, the value yeah. they bring. Yeah, definitely. And also Peter Dinklage pa- played Eitri in Avengers Infinity War. That's a good image for, yeah. I, <laughs> I like. I appreciate that for how I imagine this character uh, going forward. Yeah, yeah definitely. So Eitri and Brock um, decide to get to work. So they got to work. Eatree places a pigskin in the forge. So a fly then lands on Brock's hand and bites him. And the fly is most certainly Loki in disguise. Loki does not want the dwarves to win this wager. He wants to re- give the gods something, maybe as like a, an apology for cutting Sif's hair. But he doesn't want these three dwarves to make something better than the sons of Avaldi. However, Brock continues pumping until Eatry is finished. And then they successfully made a boar, excuse me, they made a boar with bristles of gold. And this ends up being a boar called Gullenbursty. And this, I'm just thinking now of the, the Neil Gaiman version where he, he really develops this part where they're hollering back and forth at each other, like, don't mess up the bellows, keep the bellows going just right. And that Loki is really afraid that if they make something better, he's going to be in trouble. So he's like, yeah, aggravating this guy, biting him really trying to make him mess up. And then the way that he's struggling and maintaining to keep the bellows going just right, despite having a fly biting him, uh, is it's much more like an action scene in uh, Neil Gaiman's version. Yeah. And it's a loyal brother. Yeah. Um, anyway, so next, Eitri placed gold in the forge. They got back to work, and this time Loki, as a fly, landed on Brock's neck and bit twice as hard. However, Brock again continued pumping until his brother finished. They successfully made a gold ring called Dropnir. Moving forward, Eitri then placed iron in the forge and told his brother the work would be ruined if the bellows failed. They got to work, and this time Loki lands on Brock's eyelids, which sounds very painful. There was blood flowing into his eyes after he bit him, so Brock could not see. So he stopped working briefly to swipe the fly away. The creation, however, escaped full ruin and a hammer was pulled out of the forge so that's another interesting note in neil gaiman's this this explains why thor's hammer has such a small handle that it was meant to be like a full Mm two-handed battle hammer and instead it's a little tiny short hammer (laughs) yeah and you always see like in the pictures like he only he always holds the hammer with one hand so and yeah like i don't know you look at like the marvel hammer it does seem like the handle should be a little bit longer but that's, yeah, that, that's like the characteristic thing about Thor's hammer. And that would not be the case if uh, Loki wasn't screwing around with biting people's eyelids. Yeah. Exactly. 
So Yitri gives the gifts to his brother and then sends him to Asgard. So Brock and Loki arrive to Asgard to present the gifts. And so keep in mind, Brock had no idea that the fly was Loki. Odin, Thor, and Frey end up being the judges, and they sat on their thrones to judge the gifts. So I don't know if we, maybe to kind of uh, clarify a little bit, it's this idea that Loki was, yeah, I think we said, but he'd have every bone in his body broken if he doesn't do something to really impress the gods, right? And it's not just that he's going to fix, I think, especially Neil Gaiman's version, I liked, you know, he's like, Thor's like getting ready to break his bones. And he's like, what do you think, Sif? Does that sound like a good idea? And she's like, yeah, I'd like to have some golden hair. And he's like, all right, fine. I won't break all the bones in your body. And then he's on this quest, yeah, to find a, the best items for all the gods. I'm trying to think his justification, right? Why he had to now bring in these other dwarves to make something, to put them in a competition with each other, to bring in really good gifts. Is that just so Thor won't break his bones or what, what is the reasoning? You can kind of just put two and two together. And this is like a problem with having uh, like stories that are sometimes incomplete that are maybe over a thousand years old. I guess the simplest way to look at it is Thor went to the rest of the Aesir and said, guess what shithead Loki did? He needs to pay for this. And so my guess is Loki does feel like, oh, well, I cut Sif's hair for no reason. They're going to beat me up anyway. (laughs) They're going to break. Maybe they're going to break every bone in my body anyway. So I need to make sure that they are all satisfied. And then did they... Talk about the wager, which is that if, because Loki found three people to make three gifts for the three gods, right? And then he goes and he messes with some other people and he challenges them to make something better. And they're like, well, we'll make something better. If the gods agree that ours are better, then what do we get, right? Why are we going to do all this work for you? And it's that he uh, agreed that they could take Loki's head, right? One of the dwarves is like, if we make better gifts, right? Well, you know, we're doing this for you. If we don't make better gifts, they get the gifts for free. We made them for free. But if we made the better gifts, we get to keep Loki's head. And that's why Loki's so afraid and he's a fly biting him on the hand and the eyes and all that. Exactly. And it is funny because the Sons of Vivaldi made Sif's hair. <laughs> like yeah. that, that was what Thor like, wanted. And I feel like there had to be more to it. Like I, I can understand why the uh, creator of the story probably didn't have to like understand all plot holes. Like In fact, I feel yeah. like if you look at today's world in the 21st century, trying to like pick plot holes everywhere is just kind of what we do because we're bored and we have social media so we just gotta go online and find shit to complain about but like back then like nobody was gonna be like wait a second what's going on like why did loki do this like right because that's just what loki does He he just makes more trouble right and that he's he needs to impress the gods so he's gonna find them a bunch of gifts and he does it in the way that puts his own life at risk because he's can't stop getting in trouble exactly that's what i'm getting from it yeah but no, that's a good question. I didn't think too much about it earlier, but like, I think it's in this case, like the cool thing is that it's up for a, you know, a bunch of idiots on a podcast or like a genius like Neil Gaiman to figure it out. Neil Gaiman's got it down. I'm pretty certain. Yeah. Yeah. We can just go with his way. So anyway, Loki with the gifts for the sons of Vivaldi, Loki gives the, uh, the spear going near to Odin, as we mentioned earlier, this spear always pierced cleanly through and never stopped during the thrust. So when it's going through a body, I would guess. Loki gave the hair to Thor for Sif. That hair grows as soon as it was placed on Sif's head. Loki then gives the ship Skidbladnir to Frey. This ship would always receive a fair wind regardless of where it was going. And it could also be folded up into a cloth and put into your pocket. And it feels I'm like good. one of the coolest things, right? That's from like that, that this was technically difficult to create in a forge, like a boat that folds into tiny microscopic boats and it fits in your pocket. And it also has its own wind source, right? Like, yeah. 
Yeah, and this is where I make a stupid joke about Thor and Rivers and how how funny it would be if it like Thor decides not to give the hair to Sif and says, Well, Frey, how about this? I'll give you my wife's hair if you give me that boat so I don't have to worry about wading through rivers anymore. Oh yeah. No. And then Sif like <laughs> Sif wouldn't like that. But anyway, Frey gets the ship Skidbladnir. So then Brock, with the gifts that him and his brother Etri made, brought out the treasures that he created or they created. Brock gives the ring drop near to Odin. So every ninth night, eight rings of equal weight would drip from it. So it's a good financial investment, obviously. Gold ring that just keeps printing more gold rings, right? Yeah. Yes. And there's that, that, night, that number nine, again, because every ninth yeah. night. So Brock then gives the boar to Frey. This boar can race across the sky or the sea better than any other mounts, day or night. The boar also produces lights, even in darkest areas of travel. So then Brock gives the hammer to Thor, the hammer that we know as Mjolnir. Thor would be able to strike whatever came before him with as mighty as a blow as he wished because the hammer would never break. If he throws the hammer, it would never miss its mark, nor could it ever be thrown so far as to never return to his hands. So we see this in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He throws the hammer, it magically comes back, etc., it was also so small that it could be kept inside his shirts. That part gets forgotten sometimes, I think, huh? Yeah. We'll remember like, that part. Yeah. And it's like, you'll see like, you know, maybe with like modern day Norse pagans, as opposed to like a necklace with a cross on it, they will have a necklace with Mjolnir that goes oh. like, it's small enough. Like, I don't think it's supposed to symbolize like exactly what Thor did is hit with his hammer. Like, I don't believe he wore a no, necklace maybe, that held it, but maybe it does. Maybe they're actually paying attention. Yeah. That it shrinks down and he wears it like a necklace. And then when he needs it, he pulls it out and it's a full-sized warhammer. <laughs> Every, yeah. Everything shrinks. And so lastly, however, it did have one defect. The handle was rather short due to Loki's interruption of biting Brock's eyelids. As you mentioned, despite the short handle, it was decided by Odin, Thor, and Frey to be the best gifts, as it would best protect Asgard from the giants. So, in an effort to try to save his head, Loki tries to bargain with the dwarves, to which they decline. You know, L Loki is very much clearly a lawyer. Loki's like, listen, I told you you could have my head, but you can't have any of my neck. We did not, that was not in the contract. So you cannot cut my neck. And apparently the dwarves aren't that smart because they can't figure out how they could get his head. That's not the neck. They could take half his head, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> But that's probably not in the contract either. It's got to be the whole head or nothing, right? And <laughs> that they're like um, trying to come up with a compromise, being like, how do we... Well, yeah, it's funny because the, the dwarves like get it. They go around with it and they're just like, oh, we've been bamboozled. And it's just yeah. like, this. it works. Like Loki's stupid technicality. Yeah. So yeah, Loki does say that the wager only included his head, but not his neck. So Brock is obviously pissed off, but he goes along with it. He takes a strip of leather and a knife with the intention of sewing Loki's lips shut, which I don't think the gods cared. I think the gods actually supported that idea. And yeah, Neil Gaiman's version, they were like, they went to Odin, they're like, Odin, we've been deceived. How can you come to an agreement as the great judge in this dispute? <laughs> and, and he's like, well, what if we sew his lips shut? And he's like, yeah, that counts. Good enough. Go for it. <laughs> Perfect. There's Neil Gaiman yeah. taking those liberties. Um, moving forward, he is not able to poke holes through Loki's lips. He then wishes that his brother Owl was there. So I guess he has another brother named Owl. Owl actually shows up and then punches the holes through Loki's lips. And I want to make a note here. An owl is probably is a sharp pointed tool, usually of iron, used to poke holes through wood or leather. If and in need, this case, Loki's lips. 
Yeah, if you need another hole in your belt, that's it. Get an awl and you put a hole through the belt. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Yeah, so that's good for if you lose a lot of weight. So make it your goal to have an owl if you uh, are trying to lose weight. So they end up sewing Loki's lips shut. And then there's a weird like comment here at the end of my translation where it says, the thong that holds Loki's lips together is called Vartari. I really want to know what that means, but no one knows. I, it's something it's probably, that Jesse Bayek included in his translation. I'm not sure if it's in yours, but... It's probably got a magic spell on it, so he can't take it out too easily. I imagine that's part of the deal, but uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's the story. Loki yeah. is a shithead. He cuts off uh, Sif's hair. When he's pressured to give to get gold hair for Sif and then get gifts for the gods, he does so, use, manipulating some dwarves, and yeah. he ends up with his lips sewn shut. As I'm thinking through, right, it's why... Why would they want to make hair for Sif, right? So the Loki goes to the dwarves and he's like, do a thing for me, right? He doesn't just get to demand the dwarves do whatever. So he's got to come up with a deal. And he's like, well, if you make some really good stuff and then I'll get some other guys to make some really good stuff and you'll have a competition and, and then you win something, right? And so they're like, oh, that sounds like a deal. Okay, we'll make it for you, right? He's sort of, but uh, somebody decided to ask for, well, but if we win, what do we get? Like, oh, yeah whatever you want steal Loki's head or so his lips shut. Yeah. Well, yeah. And it's interesting because the sons of Vivaldi, they made their gifts like just because, but then like at least Brock and the tree were, you know, they, they wanted something in return. And they, it's yeah. funny because like they, they got like a challenge, but they also got to demand Loki's head. So you right. almost get the, you almost get like the, uh, the thought if you wanted to take your own liberties with it, uh, similar to Neil Gaiman, maybe Loki had a, uh, like a deal, or maybe he like earned favor with the sons of Vivaldi, but maybe Brock and Yitri had something over him that he was trying to get out of or something. And it's interesting because the, the gods get to keep all their gifts, right? So they get twice as many gifts and they get the greatest gift of the hammer, right? To, uh, to guard all of Asgard from the, the Jotunheim. That's where I'm kind of thinking, you know, so why, why did Loki cut her hair in the first place, right? <laughs> That's, you know, is, is he just a troublemaker? This is kind of that idea of fate that somehow Loki Loki knows this is needed to make something happen, right? And or he doesn't, he's not doing it on purpose. It's just that's what Loki does. But then, but look at the outcomes, right? That all of the gods really get a lot of benefits from Loki being a pain in the ass. And and poor Sif is the butt of everybody's, you know, joke, basically. So the, you know, I was looking at this idea of the symbols of these different items that are given to the gods, right? They're going to give them something that'll really impress them, right? So we talked, I think, in somewhere in season one about Odin and his spear, right? So that's kind of a thing, mm -hmm. clearly that he's kind of this idea, like the judge who, you know, that he has to keep his word, you know, that the king keeps their word. That is uh, his packs he make right, are, are, are good. That's what his kind of spear represents. And then it sounds like that it, the spear never gets stuck. Basically, he can kill anybody, whatever he throws it at, he goes straight through him, right? Which almost sounds like, yeah, it's like the most deadly weapon you can think of, right? But then Thor gets one that's maybe even more powerful. Odin's other gift is, is, goes to his side that he's sort of, Odin's very greedy, right? This ring that keeps creating more wealth, right? That Odin ha never has enough wealth or power, right? That's, as you say, is it Odin's search for, for knowledge and wisdom or is Odin really all motivated by power? To me, that's a little bit, he wants the knowledge for power. I think uh, the spear definitely represents power. If you were to look at Odin, you can make a case that he is like the war god. But he is he yeah. is he the war god because he's like a master of war, or is he technically the war god because he's trying to recruit soldiers for Valhalla? Yeah. One way um, I would think of it is like yeah. judge, jury, and executioner, right? That he has the spear. If he decides someone needs to die, they just die, right? So that's I think part of it too. Besides warfare, right? Is like yeah, that's what 
that's what Odin does. Yeah. yeah. And as far as the ring, I think that could be looked at more as just like, well, I know that this is going to help me achieve my goal because it's money. Right. And well, did they knew Odin would like that. Like Odin was like, I would like to be really rich, right? I can, I can buy people to go to war for me if I have lots of money. Right? Yeah. But it is funny because yeah. like in Havamal, like you, you get the sense that he understands that like, I think he understands like that money can help him grow his reputation like it may help him like get out of situations or something like that but he also like understands that like a rich man is not necessarily smart and that maybe having all that wealth causes you problems that's the idea that this ring might in some ways represent the one ring in lord of the rings and then also in the stories of um sigurd and the dragon that the dragon has this ring and is on a big mountain of gold right so this idea that yeah the, they're not the same thing but that they symbolically are kind of the same yeah, it could just mean that Odin's also like corrupt, like he's also very corruptible. Like he's going to see the power in this ring, you know? Right. And, that, and that's why that they thought that's what, what Odin would be his favorite. But even Odin was like, no, Thor's hammer is way better, right? It's still, he thought it would impress him. It's still, yeah, he knows like, that's not the best gift, right? That's, yeah. And then Thor gets, one is Sif's hair, right? That's one of Thor's gifts that he obviously wanted for his wife. And I'm thinking that her, you know, that her hair kind of represents like her, vitality or fertility, right? She has the, the fields of grain is kind of what she's the goddess of that originally, I think before Frey and Freya came from uh, Vanaheim, there was the idea that Thor was supposedly a fertility god as well as being the god of the rain that falls on the field, which is his wife, Sif, right? So that her hair as being like a thing that Thor wants to be, a, it's a sign of his own reputation that she has good hair. So it kind of goes to that idea of referencing that they were sort of fertility gods and goddess. But then Thor getting his hammer, right? That's very much Thor, the hero, the warrior. I forget if I talked a little bit about it when we we're doing stories of Thor, that this idea that the hammer is really almost that like Thor is nothing without his hammer, right? That it's his focus. It's sort of he focuses all his energy into this one thing, which is how he can destroy. Because Thor is pretty strong, but without that, the giants are nowhere near as scared of him. So it's sort of just that what it represents to me as a symbol. And that all the gods know, like, that's, that's the most important thing, right? That Thor has this and he can focus all of his strength, right? Because Thor is angry and he's not focused and he's hungry and he can't get much done, right? Until he's focused. Every focuses everything into this hammer. That's yeah. another word for like a magic wand is to call it a focus, right? That's what Thor's hammer kind of speaks to me as representing. That once he has that, once he's focused, then he can destroy all the giants, right? So that's clearly why that's important. Yeah, it makes sense. And I'm, my thought was that like uh, with Thor getting his hammer like you you talk about like putting all his focus into this hammer because he knows yeah. what he needs to do with it like he needs to kill giants yeah since this is the beginning this could be looked at like if you looked at the norse timeline as the beginning of thor's story how much of that damaged him that he like was identified based on on his hammer yeah. and like we see like after this after this he the events of like harvard's law may happen he gets like verbally owned by his father odin he um, loses in trying to catch the world serpent, uh, Jormungandr. And then, like, if you look at the story with Thor, the bride-to-be, from, uh, I think it's uh, Prince Viva, he loses his hammer, but he wins as a result of it with the help of others. So, like, it kind of, like, fits within the fake story arc that we his made arc. for Thor. But I think, it, I think it really works on that level, yeah. I won't spend too much time, but we should definitely do an episode on Freyr, because I think these, these symbols have a lot to say about Freyr as a... Freyr doesn't do much in too many of the stories, right? He's the lover. He's kind of the lover god. He's the uh, the fertility god, right? He's I think he just kind of hangs out and has a good time and drinks a lot of wine. And I don't know what else Freyr does. But um, the boar is interesting to me because that's is very much a fertility symbol. You think about like female boars, they have a lot of offspring. I think they have like 12 teats. They can provide milk for 12 baby boars. Boars are also a good source of hunting, right? So you think about the fertility mm -hmm. of the field, the land, being able to feed human beings, right? That's kind of what the boar 
could represent. It's a thing you'll go hunting for. And something about this idea of the glowing boar that can tr travel really fast. Freyr is not the sun god, but it makes me think about that idea as they talked about like the, the wolves chasing the sun through the sky. Yeah. Whether there's something about Freyr, you know, that the sun is needed for the crops to grow. So if somehow that this golden boar flying around everywhere is um, something like representing the sun as just one of these possible connections you can make. The other part, though, about the boar being a mode of transportation, there was something else I was reading about Dionysus, who's uh, the Greek god, but in some ways maybe a little bit similar to Freya. Freya. Uh, it was in Joseph Campbell's book. He was talking about this idea of spiritual transport. That's what Dionysus really represents. Your spirit being able to travel, to change. So, you know, like you're, you have a current state of being, and then how does your spirit change to be a different way? And maybe it's through something like love, and Freya's the lover, right? So that might yeah. be why... Freyr's the, the god, he's kind of the least masculine. He's not a hero. He's not a king. He's you know, a little more feminine in ways, but then he relates to women. He relates to the feminine side. And then that he also has this golden boat that is, again, a mode of transportation, right? So this idea of spiritual travel to me, that sounds like that's the gifts that they thought Freyr would want, right? And it's just a cool boat, man. I can't get over it. I'm like, that wasn't the best gift. That's like, how do you make a boat that falls up into your pocket? No, no, it's pretty awesome. I'm wondering... Because I know we like we're gonna do a few episodes on Loki, but like as part of season two, there is a there is a poem in the poetic edda called Forskernis that features Freya, and you it's like one of, I think it's the only story that features him as like primarily like one of the main characters. So I'm wondering if we can like talk more about him, but also that story in that episode, like maybe in the next few weeks. I think that'd I think be a good idea. I think the way it would flow is yeah, we start with Loki for season two, and then talk a little bit about about Freya, and then that connects into Freya. Frigg, the goddesses. And maybe we kind of wrap up with that to end the season because um, we keep bringing them up and we never get to give them their own episode. So at least some of the goddesses getting... Uh, and they deserve it. So at least a couple episodes on. It's, it's tough because, yeah, there's like there's overlap between them. Sometimes they have their own stories, but sometimes we're confused whether they might be kind of similar. <laughs> so I think like a three-part series on the goddesses would make a lot of sense. Yeah, it's mostly Sif, Freya, Frigg, and Scaldi. Is there anybody else? North, maybe. North is uh, Skadi's father. Well, that's actually part of a poem. That, that's not, yeah. me, not a poem, a story that we're going to do on the story of Loki as well, or on the no, series have, of Loki as well. I have interesting theories on North, and maybe he has a wife. And I have, I have my own personal theories that are justified on strange connections I make reading things. So, well, Awesome. That's something to look forward to at the end of season two, I think. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, so I think that's all we had for, for this episode. Yeah. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening to our first part of season two. And uh, have a great week. Thanks, John. Good night.